who are we? The screaming doos. Too loud. Sorry, Carrie. You just broke the mic. You broke the internet. You broke, broke the, it. you broke the internet. And I sang a high. I sang a high note, and the computer said "f you." <laughs> yeah. Who did we just interview? Wow, this was a big big one. fish. Big fish. Big, big fish. fish. Four yeah. decade career. What? Yep. Thomas Hampson. Wow. Wow. Yes. He is intelligent amazing singer but he is so much more than just a singer philanthropy he does so much for the art of song with his hamp song foundation right yes the foundation what else i mean we're going to shout out that during the interview so you guys all can check that out um because it's such a wealth of information and why he did this the journey of it is just so important and so super cool that not only is he this really famous opera singer, but he's used that fame to educate other people about classical music and song, etc. Fabulous human being. Yeah, check this singer. out. My biggest frustration is that I still believe in my heart of hearts that there is nothing in Regie that can replace the intent of what you're singing. True. Singing, singing is singing. Yes. Mm -hmm. You know, singing is singing. What do they need to do? Please subscribe. Please. <laughs> Please. Oh, okay. And on that note, love you. Bye. Please subscribe. Please subscribe. Bye. You DVU. Okay. I need that. I have that one actually, but okay. Get it out, girl. You ready? Yeah. Hello. Hello. Mr. Hansen. <laughs> Can okay. we hear you? I love his bookshelf. I know. Are you there? No. No, Tom. No word from Tom. <laughs> no. No. Poor Tom. Hola. How about now? Yes. yes. Oh, hello, Mr. Hampson. Well, ladies, what's going on? Well, we are. I, well, Good one of us. One of us is drinking. No, oh, two are drinking. Oh, I'm coughing. Yeah, I don't know how. I don't know how long this is going on, but I'm prepared. <laughs> yeah, I can bring you more, right? I've I've seen I've seen parts of your show. You guys are raucous. Yeah, never mind. We have a good time. You have a nickname. Now we have serious serious <gasps> questions, don't we, Carrie? Yes, I would like to know where, where Thomas, what was it, Thomas Han Handsome? Thomas Handsome came from. Who made that up? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. I'm, I'm, I can't.
can't hear you. We know the serious side of you, Tom. We want to know the funny side of you because you are very funny. It's true. You're a very funny person. Drink more wine. It might come out then. Who's the first person that called you that? I may be funny and I may be whatever. But what I am not is, believe it or not, vain. Do you think I honestly would come up with a nickname like that for myself? No, who, who no. came up with it? Who was the first? I have on occasion heard it, and I look the other way. Really? I thought it might have been like an old girlfriend or something. I mean, you never. <laughs> my old girlfriend is my wife, so just chill. She's lovely. She really Isn't is. She's wonderful. She's an angel. But I've never heard her call me Thomas Hansen. Ever. Okay. It sounds like something, I, I, I think I heard it in Japan mm -hmm. a couple of times. It's very sweet. I'm, I'm flattered that someone would think I'm handsome. Every man would be. It's terrific. Thank you very much. Next question. Okay, where, first off, um, you're in Munich right now, is that correct? No. Vienna. No, I'm in Zurich. You're in this Zurich. This is my house in Zurich. Oh, this is my so you're, you're in my room. This is, this is my room. This is my, this wow. is my music room. That's amazing. Yeah. That's yeah. cool. Love your got library. A few, got a few books on this side and some music on that side and some records down this way and CDs wow. and you know this is this is this is where it got put in back in the head. Mm -mm. You know? Okay, so another funny question, Carrie. What what else did we want to okay. ask beside Thomas Handsome? Are we done I don't know about funny, but I, I kinda wanted to talk about uh, your I guess the right word would be enthusiasm, or I just really love how invested you are in younger singers. I know that it's different over in Europe right now with teaching. In the US, when I've talked to teachers, some of them are feeling a little disheartened because sometimes they wonder, what are we teaching them for? What am I prepping them for? Because we, it's some days it's hard to see the end in sight with this pandemic. So I was wondering if that's an issue or a hard time or how do you feel about that? Well, I, th I think it's, we're in a horrible time. There's no question about it, but this time will pass. And I don't teach for the business. I don't teach to train singers so they can get a job. Okay. I teach singers who want to be singers and I want to help them be better singers. And I want them to be informed about what I think and what a lot of people before me think, what is important that a singer understand from what they're singing and why they're singing it. And all this other stuff is, is part of an industry that they will or won't join. I don't do... I don't do life. I don't do a career coaching. I don't know agents. They don't come to my classes. I wouldn't let them if they want to. Anyway. <laughs> uh, okay. I mean, it, this isn't about, I mean, and, and I guess what I'm trying to discreetly say that I'll just get right to the point is that I think, especially in America, there's just way too much emphasis on building a type and a voice mm -hmm. for a certain service of an industry. Yes. Rather than actually teaching people how to sing. And, and part of that problem, and it's incumbent upon us who are teaching, who are from a previous generation, to keep, you know, the banner going. Because these kids do not have, and I'm, when I say kids, I mean it with all reference and love and respect that they're young sure. adults. But my younger colleagues do not have the collection of intendants and conductors that say, that say to them, oh, you probably shouldn't do that because if you do that, you may not sing when you're 50 years old. Nobody gives a shit today whether somebody sings when they're 50 or 55 or 45. Right. They, want their, they want their curtain up now. They want it up as often as possible. If it's excess, they don't want to pay the, the artist anymore and say, oh, well, I guess they're growing. We should pay them more. They don't want to do that either. Mm -hmm. it's, it's become such a silo mentality of usury that 
it just it's best if I stay out of that question okay. and simply try and help my young colleagues be focused on first and foremost technique 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 if you don't know what you're doing you're going to get pulled around and thrown around like a leaf on a on a on a on a stream and i think you guys know this as well as i do that if you know you can you can do all sorts of incredible physical things on this stage and i'm not bitching about regie and all that that's not right. the point at all but the physical demands on the younger generation are completely different than they were even yeah. in my generation, and I was pretty lithe and active and ready to go uh, in, you know, in, 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 in those days. But today, mm -hmm. if you're going to lay on your back and see something, you need to know what your body's doing to make up for that posture. If you're going to be crooked, if you're, you know, whatever all these things are. My biggest frustration is that I still believe in my heart of hearts that there is nothing in Regie that can replace the intent of what you're singing. True. Singing, singing is singing. Yes. Mm -hmm. You know, singing is singing. And a regie einfall, as we say in German, some clever idea of left or right or up or down or glass or chair or whatever else, mm -hmm. is wonderful. It can augment. But if it isn't about, and I'm speaking to the chorus here, you girls, I know your work. And Sandra, you and I have been on stage. You are one of the most committed colleagues I know. I adore you. I love you. I respect you. I speak about you endlessly behind your back. And I mean nicely. <laughs> And sometimes about your back, <laughs> right? So uh, what's, the, what's the one thing that you find, because I, I have an answer to this, but I want to hear your answer. What's the one thing you find when you're teaching, when you're doing these master classes, the one element that kids, I'll call them kids, nowadays don't understand with technique? Is there one element? Ah, te technical, technical wise. Well, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's, I mean, it, it is astounding to me that there's so much new literature on body mapping that it isn't simply self-understood mm -hmm. that one knows that they need to, they, that they need to not understand, but the spine is the, is the anchor of your body and the, and the spine straight and balanced with the rolled hips and the, and the, and the neck allows the ribs to stay out while the lung sacs go in and out, you know, this, this athletic thing we do that holds the physical inhaling posture while we obviously exhale, which I, is a simply much easier to say than to do, and everybody has to find their way to that. This, this seems to be, a, and, and that this, and this gets to my real point, I find today way too much emphasis on breath power and force of, force of air and, and, and quote unquote, projection, which I think is one of the worst words that we can possibly use in, in semantics of teaching, voice mm -hmm. teaching, and way too little uh, understanding of the feeling and resonance of the voice, which tells you the energy you need. Now, I know you guys, I know you, Sandra, I've stand, I stood next to you. You, you know, you work resonance like I work resonance. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, it, 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 this disconnect, you know, the appoggio and the imposto, they work together, mm -hmm. you know, and they're locked in. But this idea, you hear these dilettantes coming in, oh, well, you know, get up and over on that and throw it into the mask. That's all bullshit. And it's crazy. <laughs> they're just, but if you well, don't know what they mean, why use them? Some, some idiot along the way decided that the Italian word cupola had something to do with a mask. 
<laughs> you know, cupola is an adjective of how you use your voice for a particular thing that Verdi wanted. Mm -hmm. Had nothing to do with placement, as it were. Mm -hmm. And this whole paranoia about passaggio, you can call it what you want. It is an elastic process of your vocal cords that are tuning to air pressure and mind, your thought, your ear, so forth. And yes, there are places that gear, there's going to be a gear shift in the same way that a car that has four gears and six gears operate differently. But that gear shift is a lighter adjustment and a heavy adjustment. And if yeah. you're looking for some sort of, my problem with the word passaggio is a semantic problem. I understand it completely and totally and wholly. I just think that if you're talking with somebody about a particularly fragile prestatura, you need to know whether you're actually working the voice down or up. Where's the center of gravity of the aria? If it's right. up here in your voice placement or the sound of your voice is down here, you've got a different equation of balance than if you're a higher voice and doing the, it, it, I, I you registering so, the voice, right? And I always exactly. say, you have to figure and out. That's a question. That's a question of resonance. Right. That is a and question support. of resonance. That's my big thing. I exactly. Kids nowadays, Legato, do you think, Karen? My well, I mean, I, I've seen, I've seen the passaggio work on a strobe, you know, on the, when somebody's swaying and singing, yeah, Shawaski, yeah, and somebody's singing through the passaggio, and it's a natural narrowing and then a reopening yeah. back up. So I, for me, when I first saw that, I went, oh, now I know what you're talking about. And the visualization for me helped me learn how to, what you're talking about, balance the voice from the top to the bottom, mm -hmm. no matter what area of the voice I'm going through passage-wise. And then switching. But darling, what, that, you're, what, you're, what you're seeing on that strobe is literally a handing off of heavier mechanism to a lighter mechanism to make that passage work through. My biggest problem with the passaggio is it has the feeling of steps. There's a couple of notes in there that I've got to step over because I'm going up here. And mm -hmm. that is antithetical to how we're bit, built. That just doesn't make any sense to me. That's not how the, this resonating, vibrating rubber band system functions. That's just not how it functions. And, and you know, if you, look, you, you know as well as I do that so much about voice teaching is what semantical base you can build sure. to work with somebody in their concept. And, and, sure. and I'm as guilty as anybody for all this crazy shit we come up with sometimes to get, oh, that's it, you know. And by the way, that moment of a young colleague when they go, oh, yeah, right. Oh, okay. I'm addicted to that. That, yeah. that is what, that's what, that's what lets me sleep at night. I, I'm devoted to that. I'm still singing, but I am very active, uh, working with as many young professionals as I possibly can. My motto is enable, empower, and embrace. Love it. That's beautiful. Well, go, Carrie, go. I was, uh, when I was researching you, I mean, I've always known about you and known about your career, but when you actually dive deep into what you've accomplished in the last, what, four decades is what I read, it's really it's truly an amazing thing, especially with the way that you have used song to cross many bridges, especially with the topic of diversity that is so big in America right now. And you've been doing that for a very long time with your work in song. And um, at least I, I think I'm correct in that with, with what? You're my new best friend. <laughs> um, You're my new best friend. New best friend. I, okay, I'll leave. No, sorry, no, I mean, I, I fell in love with song literature through Marilyn Horn, which because she had the, um, uh, the Music Academy of the West, which I know that you were a part of earlier on before she came on board. But um, what I find disheartening now is that in the course of a career, 
it's harder for me to bridge both. It's, it always feels like we're now put in a category, whether we're just purely opera singers okay. or purely orchestra recital singers. And you've been so fortunate to be able to do both. I was just, um, where did your love of song come from? And I don't mean just classical song, but songs that tell stories of an American life or stories of a German life or whatever. I just was curious to where that love came from. Is there, is there anything more wonderful than telling a story? No. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, you know, it is storytelling. And I don't care whether it's Schumann Kerner or Baluin Mascara or Tosca or Traviata or Schulamilogan. You know, what we do is we make, as singers, I think that we make captured ideas very often in text and certainly in music, in a language called music. And this is a big thing for us is that too often language is not understood, uh, music is not understood as a language, but is understood as a sound. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a very, I think that's a very important thing, but those things are thought out. Those are, those are, if you will, for lack of a better word, contrivances. And, and we make those audible. They're reflections. They're, they're, they're footprints in the sand. They're identifiers of human life. And sometimes they're, and they may be, in a, they may be in a culture like Germany or it's Italy or Russia, mm -hmm. whatever, or of an epoch many centuries ago or yesterday, they're all identifiers of the human existence. And, and the styles are the prisms, as it were. But what remains in the repertoire is this, are the timeless identifiers that everybody in any epoch can hear or realize or experience and go, wow, that's me. That's just like me. I get that. You know, people love the Winterreise, but the Winterreise wasn't always loved. You know, Cosi Van Tutte was not understand, was understood for a hundred years, right? Mm -hmm. So these things take time, but they're identified. They're, they're things that, that make people aware. And I've always just, I've always believed in that. I've always cherished that. As a song singer, look, you know, Marilyn Horn is a, is a, is a mentor to me. I admire this woman endlessly. Mm -hmm. um, she was at the Music Academy way before I was. When I went to the Music Academy, her teacher, Gwendolyn Kodowski, was still okay. there. Uh, which was the great Marcel song Sanger. guru. Mm -hmm. Sanger was the voice teacher. Mauricio Bravanal was the music director. Oh. You know, this is 1979 and 1980. And, and, you know, I'm very proud to be the first distinguished alum of the Music Academy. The Music Academy is a wonderful, wonderful place. And Marilyn mm -hmm. came back. Actually, I was part of it. Of, of, I'm not trying to take credit, but before she came back to the program, they were trying to find the next person to take over the program. And there were several of us that asked, and I said, it's, it's a no brainer. It's gotta be Marilyn. And she didn't really want to do it. <laughs> and, and she was, you know, not sure she went out and yes, I think I will. And so forth. And I remember having a conversation with her and I said, you know, you know, Marilyn, you need to, this, who else, you know, yeah. this is exactly the tradition of the Academy. And, 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 and she very graciously said, okay, I'll do it. And then you do it. And I said, when it's my time, I would be honored to do it, you know? And so I've, this is a kind of relationship we've, you know, but my voice teacher who kind of found me in Spokane, Washington, I mean, my voice found me. I come from extremely uh, humble and, and, and wonderful environment in the Northwest Washington state. My mother was extraordinarily musical. My father was a nuclear chemical engineer. Well, I, I didn't get from? the, I didn't get those genes. <laughs> I got, dad loved to play golf. Thank God I was a good golfer. We played golf and we talked politics and we knew history. I, I went on past it. 
I couldn't, I, I, algebra never made sense to me, which I think probably really hurt him mm. because he just loved it. But never mind, that, that's another subject. But, and I always, and I was always singing, you know, I was a boy, alto boy, soprano boy, whatever. Fortunately, at the time, my voice was going through the break, which you really should not sing at that time. And that's a big problem over here with all these boys choirs when the, when because the, they're just really reluctant to let those lads go. Mm -hmm. And then they keep, and, and that's where all the straight tone start. And you got to be very careful about it. Never mind. I was fortunate to have been transplanted and the choir was already gone. So, and so I played tuba for three years. I played in the band. And so my voice just kind of came back. And then after that, I went to boarding academy and and uh, private, private Seventh-day Adventist school and when I was 14. And there I trot out for the band and the choir and I was accepted to both like big time. In fact, the special choir, but they rehearsed at the same time. So I had to decide, wow. you know, on with brass or on with choir. And uh, so I became a singer, had a wonderful teacher. Then when I did these competitions, I was about 17 years old. And this wonderful woman came up to me. She was a very famous voice teacher in, in Spokane, Washington. She was a nun. And she had been given carte blanche by the church to mm -hmm. study with whomever for how long ever to become the best voice teacher ever. So she's in France with Charles Ponsera and mm -hmm. Pierre Benat. She's in South, uh, Southern California with Lottie Lehman at the Music Academy of the West and at USC with William Venard, the guru of scientific education and singing, right? Yeah. And she's in Philadelphia with Maria Karenko, the great diva, right? Amazing. So when I meet her, she does, she's, all, she's now in her late 60s, early 70s, right? And she says to me, now, what are you going to do? And I said, well, I'm going to be a lawyer, you know? And she said, yes, but I've been watching you, young man, for the last couple of years. And you have an artistic side to your soul that I think you should not neglect. If you'd like to talk about that, let's come, come have tea. But I understand if you're too busy. Well, of course, I called her up. And I and she said, no, 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 I don't want you to become a music major. But let's just look at voice literature. Let's just keep you singing and you take all your political science. I think it's what you've got a good brain. You should train it. Lawyers can sing too. But come on, let's, let's. And this is how she, and she handed me a stack of records and scores yeah. of Schumann and Schubert. And as the time progressed and it became, well, you need to do an audition for, you need to sing an aria for some money to try and win some money. Then I learned this or that aria that seemed to fit. And so I sang the, the, the Tannhäuser aria and, and Die Provenza. Curiously, fast forward eight years when I'm down in California with my then voice teacher, Horst Gunther, who was a professional singer, I sang from all sorts. I said, where's the Barbara aria? And I said, well, you know. <laughs> I didn't say the passaggio is difficult. I just said I can't sing the fucking thing. Mm -hmm. Oh my god! Uh, uh, and I probably didn't. I probably didn't use that adjective to him because he was probably not a German. Yeah, like Sanger. Mm. Right? And I said Sanger? I, I could have very. Oh, yeah. Sanger was Basque and French he and a piece of work. He would. Yeah, he was. Br I said. Well, anyway. So he says, "Okay, we start on the Barbara Seville aria," and he literally raised the center of my voice to where it belonged by a minor third. Whoa! Whoa! I mean, seriously, without even saying that's what we're going to do, we just worked on scales and worked on it. And cool. literally within six months, I was doing auditions for San Francisco and for Met, whatever else, with the Barbara Aria. And I, of the seven competitions in South, in South, South California, I won six and the seventh one I placed second. This was, this was Horst, this was Horst Gunther. 
in the in 1980 yeah, who, who, who did you play second to? Who'd you lose to? And I I can't even tell you. I don't remember her name. It was a it was a it was the Zachary auditions, and it oh. was a woman who, who had been in various competitions, and she was this huge bellowing Wagnerian soprano, whatever that means. In, at twenty five, Janine Altmaier. No, no, no. Janine was a no. Janine, I knew Janine and met Janine. She was a she was a, a role model for us. No, it was a wannabe Jean. And uh, she came out and literally that night, she went out on stage and the stars aligned and everybody went, I never thought she could sing like that. And it was an audition where the first prize was a paid, a paid audition sure. trip audition to Germany. Germany. Yeah. Right. And it was, and it was Wolfgang Stoll, the very famous theater agent in, in Germany. Wolfgang Stoll came to me at the reception. He said, young, what's your plans? And I said, well, you know, I'm, I think I, I I really probably want to go to Germany, and you know that's why I'm here. I, I think it'd be a good place. I want to see what this business is like. I I didn't really even contemplate being a professional singer until maybe you know an hour and a half ago. Um, you know what do you think? <laughs> and he said, and he said, look, I tell you very honestly. I tell you very honestly between us, just between us, honestly spoken. The girl, if a girl can make these sounds, I have to take her because we do not have girls that can make these sounds. But you, young man, you will make a career, and I would like to help you. So if you can come to Germany, if you have some money, I take care of you. So I came to Germany, and he represented me. On my, I sang my first audition in Dusseldorf. They hired me on the spot for thirty-five hundred Daymark uh, a month at forty nights a week a year. And and how yeah, old were you? Done. Were you twenty, twenty-one then? No, 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 no. At that time, at, that was nineteen eighty-one. So I would have been thirty. I would have been twenty-six. Nice. So after you won the Met competition. I, well, no, I got the contract in the fall of 81. Oh my, sorry, sorry, bad. I got the contract in the fall of 80. And I came back yeah. to California because the contract was to start in the fall. And the spring of 81, I won the Met auditions and already had the contract in Dusseldorf, which everybody was very excited for. Nobody was cool. interested in hiring me in the United States. I did the Merrill program and they, they sort of shook my head and said, thank you very much. Why is that? It was a little bit political. It was political. Oh. You know how many times look, that's Larry Baritones, <laughs> Larry Baritones, they fall. Look, I can I can tell you the colleagues that summer were were you know Kevin Langan and Sally Wolf and Tom Woodman and you know it was a wonderful class and we had a great time worked very hard, wow. but one of the benefactors there in San Francisco just kind of didn't like. It. I've I've made up. I don't mean to incriminate him. Like yeah, I say yeah. his name because he was a lovely guy. We made we made up. It's fine. I had a wonderful San Francisco career. I love San Francisco. I love the opera. He turned out to be a, a wonderful guy. It was a big misunderstanding <laughs> at but the time. At the, was the time. at the time, it was a truly huge pain in the ass. But look where you are now. Kira, <laughs> you wanted to say something. Well, yeah. Um, to go look, back you to don't that. know that when you're 26 years old. No, you have no idea. You're like, whatever, that person hates me, so I won't be working here. Um, but I love that it comes back full circle, that it worked out, and it's, you know, all great. Um, question, Marilyn Horn Foundation. I was a lucky kid to be yeah. a part of that. Got to sing all over the United States oh, wow. in schools, kindergarten through 12th grade. I read about your foundation. I was wondering, and you do the same thing within that foundation, similar. Was that because of her? Was that an idea that came from her? Or I, I love her, and I and I and I remember helping. I mean, I went to I did what I could for her. The the Marilyn the Marilyn Horn Foundation 
is a wonderful foundation. It still exists. They've, they've moved into different areas of expertise. There's more about master classes. Mm-hmm. At the time you were doing it, at the time I was with Marilyn, and, and I got to tell you a funny story about being on her, on her, on her competition one summer. I'm not big on competitions. I really, I, I like to tell my young colleagues, you can only win a competition. You right. can't lose a competition. Just no. do it. If you win, great. If you don't, go home and work, have a glass of wine, get up in the morning, keep on going. It means nothing if you don't win a competition. Even um, if you do I, win. I can't, I've nothing. never been able to sit on a jury. I've only done it twice. And one of them was Maryland. Because... And I don't mean this arrogantly. I, I mean it with all loving due respect. If I if I hear somebody in front of me, I don't know. I can't put a number next to it. Mm-hmm. And 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 if I'm in a, if I'm in a jury and I hear somebody that I know that in 20 minutes or half an hour I can bump that number up or down depending on how the weight is, that's where I want to be. That's okay. I I want to be standing on the side saying yeah yeah you did it. I, I can't, I'm not any good at being on juries and I've been invited to, I just, it's just not my thing. And, and competitions serve a wonderful purpose, but they should not be overrated in terms of the emotional baggage that one goes through. They are not a measuring stick. No, you know, there was a group of us uh, that were doing the circuit for, I don't know, two years, three years. I always called it the circuit. And I remember saying, all right, guys, listen up. Cause we keep seeing each other here. Let's make a bet. So whoever wins first has to take everybody else out for a cocktail. You know, it was like the whoever wins second had to pay whatever. And then and it, made it. More, it made it more fun that way because it was yeah. we all knew we yeah. were going to get something out of it, whoever placed yeah. first or third. So it was because all of us were really good singers. It really, how do you compare an amazing soprano to a tenor to a baritone? It just was whoever, it was whatever they felt like that day, in my opinion. So then whoever won had to own up and buy us all a cocktail. <laughs> and you know what, as a, as a, colleague interested in helping my colleagues right i want to have a conversation with them that says and they come off and they go oh, i didn't win i said did you sing as well as you possibly can sing yeah well i don't know you know i could this is what we're going to talk about this is what they're going to work on you know i did a lot of competitions and we do a lot of auditions and it's all part of our lives the only time i really got crazy is when i knew i shot myself in the foot and yeah. then I could throw tantrums and get crazy and, and be blotto and, you know, like all that other stuff you do when you're stupid and immature like I was in, in my 20s. But, yeah. but the, the, you know, it's what we do. I mean, come on. It's, you know, we're racehorses. Yeah. But, but what you cannot do is, is, is take it as a measurement. You have to know. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and, it, and it, to me, it's an incredibly powerful lesson because it's exactly what we do in day in and out, day on stage. You and I both know that we go out on stage and we and, – and, and this is where it gets kind of crazy because – first we have to know that we've done the best we can that night mm-hmm. right and then what's weird is sometimes we feel we've missed the mark and somebody inevitably will say i've never heard such a thing in my life i've never Beautiful, had such emotional yeah. experience in my life and you're saying yes but i'm dying of a cold and then the low notes are said, oh no and i was thinking about my grocery but- shopping list right you know or oh what was or the fight that you had with your so, partner you know, that day or thank you very much you know or my taxes are due oh my god you know right uh you know and 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 so working with young colleagues to have that conversation as an experienced yes famous older statement you know singer with these kids that are just finding that out just having that first sort of i they were so nice to me but i sang like shit yeah that happens or 
I thought I really sang well and they, they didn't even call me back, you know? I mean, this is the world we live in and this is the world that I live in. I've lived in it for 40 years. I have more to offer than that, than, than, than a checkbox. Sure. You asked me something else. Marilyn Horns Foundation, which I thought was so wonderful back in the day when I was involved in it at all, even peripherally, I didn't have to do with it. She made recitals possible. Yeah. It was a subsidized award, which I thought was genius. She was replacing the tragic desolation of the community concert series. Yes. Marilyn picking up the slack for young artists to actually have a competition where people qualified under her auspices and she subsidized the Kansas cities and the, and right. the Spivey halls of the world to make it possible. I thought was genius. Yeah. My foundation was never about that. Okay. I don't give, I don't give scholarships. I may start a little bit doing that. I do scholarship programs. In other words, if, if the Baltimore Leap Festival calls me up and says, we're missing $700 to make this or this or this possible, you know, I, I have given that a couple of times. I do like to make things possible. My passion about song and this, my foundation was always that, that song, poetry, and music are the closest identifiers of any culture or of any epoch. And that's why the foundation is about song internationally. Admittedly, there is a, a huge point on German leader, a pretty mm -hmm. significant point on French melody, mm -hmm. and certainly the Song of America project because of the Library of Congress project that I did and I was an advisor down right. there and all of that. That And we built a sub-site called songofamerica.net. Mm -hmm. That has been our biggest project. But I'm all about aggregating sources of information for song. My passion is the informed performance. And that is both the person informed why they're singing it, as well as the audience, why it's important to listen to it and why it's beneficial, why it's embracing and entertaining. There is no fault in having a Schoenemilchen be entertaining. Sure. There's no, there's, in my opinion, I love the word edutainment. You know, it's the closest <laughs> thing we have to the German word Bildung. You know, mm -hmm. I think knowing a little bit of something better and, and more tomorrow than today is a good thing. It is a good thing. And I, your website, both, I just want to encourage people to check out those websites, the foundation one and the Thank American you. song, because there was such a wealth of information. So much resource. So much resource. And, yeah. and, and not only for established artists or young artists, but I think there's so much information for music teachers in elementary school and high school. If you want to grab this kind of well, stuff and introduce and it audience to audience members if they want to educate themselves more before coming but to if, a if, 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 thank you very much yeah that two, two things i'm sorry i keep interrupting you ladies you're wonderful but just and then you can ask the questions again carrie you've hit on the heartbeat and sandra you've hit it up with the other heartbeat if you go to a recital and you hear somebody sing something wow that's fantastic and you don't know anything about song literature where do you go to find that out and well, and by the way when I started my website, I got five yahoos because I was the first classical artist to invest in a website. And I thought I was being so clever because on the professional side, I put all of my press kit shit on the website. You want my press kit? Come and get it. But mm -hmm. I'm not going to send it to you every damn year, blah, blah, blah. Thank you. All was, hey, when I did it, no presenter in America had internet access. <laughs> We're talking 97, 98, darling. I'm serious. They didn't have no what to do. They couldn't download a picture to save their lives. Well, that's the next question I want to ask is social media. Okay, no, no, no. So let me finish up. No, 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 I get it. Let's go. Let me finish up this. So the web, so the, the foundation, if I may, was as much about that 
okay. as it was, not the website. That was my personal website. The foundation was young singers looking to accumulate what they are. The yeah. audience hearing something, and that's why there's so much Tom Hamson mm-hmm. stuff on there is because mm-hmm. everything I did, I put up there. So if you heard a song, well, I think it was called Grief. If you look up the song night name, you're going to go into there. If you look up mm-hmm. the poet's name, you're going to get another association. Mm-hmm. If you look up the composer's name, you're going to get all this kind of stuff. So we built, I've, and it's all on a timeline for Song of America, so that there's points of reference. If you click on the poet and there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a hyperlink to poets.com or Wikipedia or whatever else, we're not going to send you to Wikipedia or, or poets.com. We're going to send you to that poet and that poem right. in that place in a separate window. Cool. So you That's can do research. I said, what I want to build, I want to build a dashboard for people so they can do research and reference and they can find the identifiers. And, and, and I'm extremely proud and we've been at it for several years and I, I wouldn't be where I am without Christy Finn, my content manager and managing director. We're a, we're a mom and pop team. Love it. But the big news is just what you said is I gave a presentation several years ago to a, to a teacher's community or teacher's workshop. And I and they loved it. And I showed on the website. We have all this stuff coming. Get it. And I could see, you know, I could see this listing. And I said, and I stopped literally in the middle. I said, I'm missing the point, aren't I? And they called over and I said, you guys don't have time for this shit. And they kind of went like, I said, what if I built you templates that gave you 10 or 15 minutes to teach social studies or history or economics or politics? through poetry and song mm-hmm. and they burst out an applause and I said good give me some this is now what we do awesome. the ham song foundation teaches teachers cross-disciplinary how to teach history social studies politics american culture election politics through song through yeah. poetry and music and by the way poetry doesn't need music and music doesn't need poetry Mm-mm but they are two separate art forms that create a third one. What yeah. I totally don't think is necessary, and I often say this, prima la musica e poi la parole, prima la, mo- prima la parole e poi la musica, mm-hmm. is an answer to a question that shouldn't be asked. Mm. Bravo. So that's Where's what I'm media? all about. I appreciate you asking. I really appreciate you asking me this because I'm, I'm quite, as you can see, passionate. And we're growing leaps and bounds. We've got a partnership yep. in, in uh, University of Michigan. We're cool. doing a project called The Art of Democracy to show that actually writing songs in America has been an evidence of dem- democratic freedom since the get-go, freedom of speech. And yes, it is about all races, all oh. religions all cultures. I am so damn tired of talking about African-American song and African-American poets. They are American poets. Langston Hughes is my poet. And yes, he's an African-American. Isn't that lovely? And (laughs) William Grant Steele is an American composer. And Florence Price is a American composer. Oh, she happens to be a woman and she's a woman of color. Can we just honestly embrace the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. I so firmly believe in all, all men, men are created equal. I am so damn tired, uh, like so many millions of us, of this fragmentation and useless argument about whether we're eclectic or not, or a pluralistic society. We are so wonderfully pluralistic, and we are missing the opportunity, in my opinion, to embrace the power of that pluralism, because we're, we are captivated with tribal bullshit. <laughs> I need Everybody adheres to that. I mean, seriously, yes. Hello. So, on another note, let's talk about social media. You being the first one to make a web 
page and website and all of that. I mean, how do you feel about it? I did not invent the internet. <laughs> or Al Gore did that. Are, are you sure? <laughs> Al Gore did that. Oh, Lord, mercy. So social media, how do you feel about, about it? What about social media? What do you know, how do you feel about in, it? In, what? I, feel, I, I feel schizophrenic about it. Hmm. Um, I'm as angry as anybody about the misuse of inside, outside Facebook and all these other things. I think the misuse of social media belongs somewhere. Well, I, I think it's really, I don't want to, I want to say something too inflammatory. If, okay. if nothing else, it is, it is ethically an anathema to me to purposely mislead anyone about anything. It just goes against every possible thing I believe in and was raised to believe. I just lying, you know, my kids, I have four kids and I got five grandkids. My only rule in my house was don't lie to me. You can fuck up beyond belief. Do not lie to me. Yeah. Do not lie about it. Mm. We'll get through it together, but don't lie to me. We have a president who has been documented as over 20,000 honest to God lies. Nice. What part of the American tapestry does this represent? I'm sorry, someone has to just, we have more of us to say this. And I don't mean to make this a political thing, but no. he's disqualified. I, I don't care what people think he's done for commerce or anything else or all the other goddamn thing. It's right. just wrong. Yep. This is not who we are. This is not no. who we should be. No. And so social media, social media is a little bit like an art form. Art, in my opinion, is a reflective of, of the culture and society it comes from. I don't think it's something we get into. I think it's the identif identifier of who we are. It may at times be a creation that identifies what we would like to dream for, mm -hmm. but that is going to use symbols that are identifiable in a particular time to project a what if scenario in the future. So my point, I find, I find the arts and humanities and liberalized education elemental to building a resourceful and useful human life. What else is there? What else is, do we have as a blueprint? You know, and, and so social media is, is a little, social media should reflect that desire, in my opinion. Social media should be so good that it's overwhelming. Now, what you and I, you're using it for because it allows us to do that, I think is wonderful. And that's what I use social media for. I don't communicate on social media. I don't use Messenger a lot. If somebody wants me, my email is dumb, blame, simple enough. They can write me. They can find me. <clears throat> but, you know, you but, for but for social media to be a platform that connect many people, Correct. doing the idodro.com or like what you're doing, that we can put it out on Facebook Live or something, this is all wonderful. These are what aggregates and accumulates and informs the gracious is wonderful. I do believe that you have to have a discipline like everything. It's like going to the movies. It's like watching television. It's like wine. You have to have balance in your life. Mm -hmm. I asked a friend of mine once who just seemed to be this unbelievable social media guru. And I said, how much time a day do you spend on Facebook? And he said, well, if I do, yeah, probably between four and four and a half hours. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and this was an intelligent intelligent millennial productive person and i said wow that's a that's just a consciousness i don't have but we know. all have that's, had careers I, we all all three of us have had careers without social media why now well, does yeah. the younger generation 
feel that they have to use social media in order to have a career. I don't understand that. I'm, I'm well, sorry, I, I, it's, I, I, been, it's been browbeaten to me by my, yeah. my manager that I had to have it because opera companies are looking to see how many followers I have that can help them. So it also became an issue with hiring because if they like two Sopranos, who has the better social media? Who has the more pull that Carrie, can Carrie, the Stop, audience? Are you, are, you, are, you, are you honest to God telling me that that goes on? That happens? Mr. Hampson, who is your manager? <laughs> I am so naive. I mean, to me, that's just, uh, that's just, that's, to me, that's a complete derelict of duty of the person hiring. It if happens. you don't know who's better to be on stage to do that, then get the fuck out of this business. Bam. Which leads to how <laughs> our business needs to change. I mean. Oh my, oh my Lord. How much time, how much time do you have? Because. <clears throat> well, you know, well, I tell you girls what I don't want to be at my tender age and experience. I don't want to be the curmudgeon. I mean, I had enough conversations no. with older colleagues that say, well, you know, back when I was your age, we didn't do anything. We only had. It's like your dad. Now I walk 17 <laughs> miles with the snow. In the snow, snow to go to school. Yeah. You it's know, always it's the just snow. Don't it's always the snow. <laughs> always the snow. <laughs> You know? Well, I don't want to be, Canada, I don't be a curmudgeon. That, that's also why I, I learn so much from my young colleagues. I want to embrace, I, I ask them as many questions as they ask me. And, and all these things in, the, in this new digital world, you know, I've got a think tank of young people saying, does this make any sense to you guys? Are you going to use this? Does this the way to do it? I'm also always asking my young people, there are no lack of young musicians that want to become professionals there's no lack of young musicians that want to be better musicians i don't care what they play or sing or jump or hop or whatever else so where is the connectivity between their own generation to them to their colleagues going to the concerts and going right. to the events how many people did you take to maris jansen's concert or to andres nelson's concert in berlin right. how many of you are going to new york harmonic and standing in the back how many of right. you have bought the cheap ticket for your friend because you didn't want to go alone. Right. You know, this is what needs to, needs to start happening. I'd like to encourage the young people for that. And social media can also, can also help with that. I want to participate in a lively discussion about something that is going to be something we can't even imagine within five to 10 years. It's like higher education. I loved Ken Robinson and his presentations. God rest his soul. I was, I was really very, very sad to hear that he died. He was a, a great thinker, and his TED Talk is still the most viewed, viewed TED Talk on the place of the planet. Yeah. But I remember saying about education. I read his books. I met him a couple of times. You know, I, cool. you know, but when he talked about education, he said, you know, if somebody came back from the dead that died in 1905 and they walked into a schoolroom, they would know exactly where they were. Yeah. What does that tell us about education? You know, we are different people. We have different... You know, and everybody said, oh, well, it's the Facebook generation. Get over it. Yeah, it is. <laughs> oh, the digital this, well, that's not the same as in person. You're right. Get over it. Move on. Augment. Embrace. Get it together. There's no reason. Like right now, we, everybody's pinned down, and so we're giving, you know, Peter Gelb is decimating our royalty system because he gives the opera away and some altruistic notion that he wants that he thinks he's doing. It's just bad business. It's just wrong. Let's get to, sorry, let's get to a serious point of, of where the industry is going. Yes. We have we have serious challenges, but we also have serious possibilities. 
And, and I do believe we're in a third, we have the third rail of analog digital simultaneous production. I think the global concert hall of Idajo is gonna be one of many global concert halls. Right. It already is, but it's the best one and the first one. And, and I think that's the way to go for right now. But this idea of producing for people who will choose or not choose to physically be there as well as producing it for a digital audience, as well as having artists learning. And this is what I love working with my young colleagues. I'm giving them as much digital opportunity as I possibly can. Learning how to talk to the green dot. Learn how to tell people why it is you want to do what you do. Right. And this is what, and quite frankly, you know, let's get off the intendant spec. Listen, this might surprise you. I mean, I've made a lot of records and I've been in the recording industry for a long time. I came a little bit late, as it were, had to sort of dare them to do my first record. And it was a huge success with a lot of awards. And so all of a sudden, bomb, and I was the flavor of the month for a couple of decades. Thank you very much. Loved it. Worked very hard. Terrific. Not the same industry as today. <laughs> However, I can tell you from inside knowledge, the only thing that record companies do extremely well is reorganize themselves. <laughs> they are as guilty as anybody in the misdevelopment of our audience. And that's a wow. chance we now have through the streaming through the streaming platforms and the digital book accessibility and booklets that we can make up seriously and quickly and probably completely the lost ground. Somewhere back in the day, it became a record had to show its numbers to prove its existence and its mm -hmm. payback within 18 months. When that came into the industry, that was the first, you know, ham ha hammer yeah. hammer slap. When it then became, when it then became, we're not going to make money unless this amount of sold, we're not going to make the record at all. Mm -hmm. That's when the repertoire is something. And, and, you know, they've had their own development. Now, they've also, the record companies notoriously embrace new technology reluctantly <laughs> and inevitably too late. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the first thing is streaming platforms, ladies and gentlemen, are not record companies. They're not even record stores. They are a new invention, an innovation that brings artists and public closer together. You should be able to follow who you want and you should be able to look around because of what you've seen all around what might interest you in associations and build your listening experience and be open for the next listening experience with all the, without all the marketing and pushing and shoving and crap and so forth. And I, I really do believe that this is a very positive development in our business. Cool. Yeah. Cool. So you were ahead of the curve. You, yeah. you started all this before the pandemic in a way. I, I, I and somehow I forgot to file the patent. So, <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is, I really want to be honest about this. If somebody has got a better idea, I want to hear it. Yeah. If somebody's sure. got a bit, if some, if somebody 20 years younger than me says, great thought, Tom, great. But actually we're doing it now this way. I've learned so much and I still learning. It fascinates me. I am, you know, I don't walk into a room and assume I'm the smartest. I don't even walk, I don't walk in any room and assume I'm the smartest or the most talented. I love being around great talent. And you know, I've been around some phenomenally intelligent people, phenomenally gifted people. And the really honest to God, phenomenally talented people are the nicest people you'll meet. I've sure. never saw Leonard Bernstein and all of his demons and so forth tear apart some person who was lacking talent. No. I've never seen Daniel Barenboim go after the weak-minded of the yeah. group. 
You know, it's just not going to happen. They're just not going to do that. And because the greatest they're secure of them, with Morris who they Janssen, are. Yeah. Morris Janssen's is the great example. Is that even if he recognized that maybe that person was was maybe not the right person to have been cast for that or or hired for that, he will raise that person's bar. And that person will walk out of the experience with Morris Janssen's would have a better person, a better artist. They may not be engaged again. That's another question. Mm -hmm. But to me, that's the responsibility of artistic handoff. That is my, I love still singing. I love being busy, but it's my responsibility for the rest of my life to, to exude and offer the same patience and detail that was offered me at that time. Beautiful. Thank you. Hey. Okay, Tom, we have some rapid fire questions for you. Are you ready for them? <laughs> you might need to drink a little bit more. I need a drink. Okay. What famous painting would you be? <laughs> <laughs> if you were a painting, if somebody were to say, this painting is Tom Hampson, which one would you be? Carrie's like, this is a horrible question. Horrible. No, no. Casper David Friedrich. <laughs> Which one? Casper David Friedrich, the guy on the rock. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Good That's one. Me. Okay. I'm impressed. Carrie? What's your favorite curse word in any language? <laughs> what the good. fuck do you ask me that for? <laughs> you know, the nice, the nice thing about that word is that in the English language, we are often, what is different, we don't have separable prefixes or suffixes, but that's not entirely true because you can have unfucking believable or yeah. unfucking grateful, or, I mean, you can use the word in so many ways that, that it enhances the structure of the language. It is unfortunately a, a deeply offensive word to most people. Uh, and it comes all too easy when it sounds funny. Because when I hear the Scots use it, kind of like breakfast, you know, it, I mean, oh, fuck off. You know, I mean, it amuses me enormously. And I sometimes forget, in general, that, that swear words truly are offensive to some people. So I try to be careful about that. Thank but you. probably, probably that word, unfortunately, shows up. And most of the time, I mean it humorously. Yeah. And most of the time, it's taken kind of startlingly. Unless you're around me. Or me. I mean, I also like it in a really fun way, you know, when your loved ones well, like, exactly, hey, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> but it is, but it is, but it is, you know, it's, it's a, it, it, you know, yeah. I, I don't know. I suppose, I suppose shit is another word that shows up quite a bit. Oh, I love that word too. Okay. Most useless, most useless talent of you, that you have. That I have? Yes. Ironing. <laughs> You're good at it. <laughs> That's not entirely true. I can iron anything anywhere and it'll look better. So as a, as a traveling concert person, it's probably actually quite useful. Will you Other come up here and do I can, yeah, but I'm extraordinarily expensive. Oh. <laughs> a useless talent. Is there somebody, is there a useless talent that I, that I, that I have? You do impersonations really well. But that's not useless. Maybe it is. I'm not that good a at burn it. founder of burn. <laughs> no, I think so. Yet you do, you impersonate and, and mimic people's voices very well. You have a very good ear for it. 
I impersonate myself very well. <laughs> Next question. Yes, exactly. Uh, moving on, moving on. Okay. In all of your wonderful career moments, do you have a favorite wardrobe malfunction that has happened? Mm. <laughs> um, well, I've had a, a couple of them and, and like, with, I mean, guys have split pants. Yep. And I, rem I remember, I remember a performance of La Nota di Figaro at the Met. Was the Ponell production? It was part of my. It was in the first blush when I was starting. I was saying a lot of counts there, and I had a particularly attractive but somewhat tight, elegant outfit in the second act as the count. And I don't know what happened or whatever, but some move happened, and I split the the crotch of my pants from belt to <gasps> belt. You know, I, I mean, it just went <laughs> like this, right? I think it might have been, um, it might have been when I was being supplicant to Rosina, Rosina, and I and I bent down awkwardly and just ripped my pants up. Um, and in the second act finale, the count takes his coat off, and it's a long coat, right? So, um, and he's supposed to walk around, he's supposed to stand up, and so forth. So in fact, when the, the I got through and I got to the final stretta where the where the idiot sextet comes in of Bartolo and Marcellino and all they da that kind of stuff, and and the count in that production was supposed to walk around and listen and then sit down and, and sit down and stand up. When that chair came out on stage, I went to the chair and I sat down. I crossed my legs, and I didn't move. And Levine was conducting. I remember Levine looking at me, kind of like. Well, that's new. That's something. So I, you know, and I went to him in the in the pause. I said, "Jim, you're not going to believe what happens." And what? And I turned around and bent over. And there was this air conditioned ass coming out of out of my costume. Um, so uh, yeah, that was that remains in my memory. I know that I had a I know that I had a split pant issue at the beginning of the second act of Don Giovanni, which mm -hmm. is not a very good time to have that happen. No. No. So, it's always, it's always, that, that happens. Okay, yes. million dollar question though. Did you have your panties on underneath that or were you commandoing it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I hate to answer this question uh, truthfully because I, I somehow in the back of my sick mind uh, entertain the idea that people fantasize that maybe Tommy Hampson's commando tonight. <laughs> um, uh, wow, wow. But I, 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 but I suppose by now I can just kind of put all that to rest. Tommy Hampson does not go on stage ever commando. Okay. So yes, I had, uh -huh, I had me panties on and it was perfectly fine. What I actually am also attentive to because of an early demise is that the panties have the same color as the costume. <gasps> so if something goes wrong, you're not alarmed by the white, hopefully tidy white. Whiteies? <laughs> hopefully <laughs> white. Tidy whiteies make it. <laughs> the, the hopefully, hopefully, the hopefully white. still, the hopefully still white underwear you should be wearing, son. <laughs> it's true. All right, worst gift you've ever received. What? Worst gift that you have ever received. 
Oh, I hope she's no longer with us. I, I hope she's not even listening. Uh, a, a wonderful Japanese woman gave me a stuffed doll of myself. And I mean, a big one. I mean, a big one. And if you looked at it, you went, oh my God, that's Tom Hampson. And it was in a box and it was given to me. And for a while we had it sitting in a chair in the living room uh, until just as an amusement, because people would come in and go, <gasps> and it was in, it was in my, most, my most famous red Don Giovanni outfit. I mean, with the long hair, I mean, it was honest to God, my face. I mean, it was really straight. I've, I'm sure I have it someplace and it's haunting the cellar of some yeah. Um but, but Andrea in one of her, my wife, my lovely, wonderful wife, she said, I don't know what, you, I don't know what your problem is with this doll. When you die, that's what's going to happen to you. And so I'm determined to live longer than Andrea because if I die before Andrea, she is fucking going to stuff me. <laughs> <laughs> and when you come to visit Andrea and say, you know, oh, we miss Tom so much, I'm going to be sitting in the living room yeah, you going. Yeah. All right, Miss Carrie, last one? Yeah, exactly. Sure. If heaven exists, what do you want to hear God say as you walk through the pearly gates? Well done! Yeah! <laughs> Thank you. Safe! Safe! <laughs> well done, buddy! Right. Well, it was lovely to see you. Thank you for our oh, you ladies are wonderful. You, you have a very funny podcast. I'm honored to be part of it. Oh. Hopefully we see you soon. Take care, okay? <laughs> you guys are great. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.